welcome to Women's Health, Wisdom, and Wine, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.larenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, remember to follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and tap on the bell to make sure you never miss an episode. Let us know what is your favorite topic, who has been your favorite guest, and who would you like to hear from on the next pod. Most importantly, share the podcast and your favorite episode with a friend or colleague. Lastly, remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. Coming up, I talk with Tanisha Mayo about trauma-informed care, ethical but sanitized therapy, and Thelma Blanche Atkinson. Let's join the conversation. Tanisha, before we get started, let's give our listeners an opportunity to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the origin story of TBA Counseling Services. Well, thank you first for this opportunity to chat with you today. I'm really excited about this conversation. Um, So I am the owner and therapist of a solo practice called TBA Counseling Services, and I am a licensed clinical social worker, licensed in Maryland and Virginia. Um, My practice focuses on the emotional wellness of Black women specifically, but all all women are welcome to my services. All right, excellent. So, I know you mentioned being a certified trauma professional um, in one of our previous conversations. Um, How does trauma-informed care differ from care that is not trauma-informed? Absolutely. So that is a great question. And many people wonder, you know, what's the difference, right? So trauma-informed care really takes into account any behaviors, symptoms, thoughts, and beliefs that a client may have that where trauma is the basis for all of that. In care that is not trauma-informed, the provider may see the symptoms, behaviors, thoughts, and beliefs um, just related to, let's just say, a diagnosis of like depression Mm -hmm. or anxiety, where again, trauma-informed care you know, takes into consideration all of those things tied to the original traumatic incident. Also with trauma-informed care, there's a partnership between the client and the provider. And traditional therapy, um, clients can show up, you know, of course, um, 
seeing a professional who is the expert, okay, in the therapeutic interventions. And in trauma-informed care, although the provider is, you know, educated and trained and does have um, expertise in certain strategies, the client is then is the expert of their lives. They're the expert in what they've gone through. And so mm-hmm. it is more of a collaborative process. And then also another feature of trauma-informed care, it is on the provider to intuitively understand and really harm, you know, promote harm reduction. We don't mm-hmm. want to re-traumatize our clients. And just right. because... Um, you know, we do a psychosocial assessment. And so just because a client may present with all these traumatic experiences, it's really not up to us as the provider to say, oh my gosh, this is, you know, traumatic for you. And we got to start working there because I'm a clinical supervisor as well. And so I tell my younger Less seasoned therapist. <laughs> Less seasoned. Because <laughs> many of them are not younger than, than me. But right, right. <laughs> Less seasoned. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we talk about how it is not up to us to um, say what a client's trauma is because they've been using life skills. And so it's almost like a boulder protecting a cave. If you remove it, you don't know what you're going to get, you know, from the inside and you don't know Mm -hmm. what you're going to let in from the outside. Outside. Yes. That's a very good important. That's a very, because a lot of times we think about what's coming out up and out, but we also don't think about what's going in and down. Absolutely. And that can be equally traumatic. Um, and that's again having that integrative, like really in our integrative approach to care. It's so that you don't have to explain your story 50, 11 times exactly. every single time you see a different provider, and every single time you've got to revisit and relive those experiences. And I think that's so important, and not making that judgment call of what you feel might be traumatic versus what was traumatic, actually traumatic for the individual. Absolutely, very, very good point to make. <laughs> Very good points to make. Thank you. So with hindsight being 2020, <laughs> you've been, you've been a, you're a practitioner as we now have established. Um, so with hindsight being 2020, what do you wish you would have known before opening your practice? Oh boy, there are many lessons. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to share them all, just the surface ones. <laughs> exactly. Because some of them are not ready for public consumption. I understand. <laughs> Exactly. And we might be here all day. Right. <laughs> I think the most important one is that um, I wish that I had been more diligent about taking um, business training. So the business, mm-hmm. running the business. And, and again, you know, this is something I speak with my therapist about, you know, yes, we have the passion, we have the education, we have the training, but we may not have that business savvy. And so a lot of things I learned was kind of through trial and error in managing the business, you know, having that time to, you know, do billing or, you know, um, making sure I was paid on time or those little important things, right? Right. Right. Getting paid is not little, but very important. (laughs) 
But no, I'm reading the E-Myth right now and it talks about how like there are really three people in the business, especially when the the technician, the manager, and then the entrepreneur. Yeah. And the entrepreneur is one with all the great ideas and it's wonderful and the idea was perfect, you know, in your head. And then that manager is the one that like is does all the planning. It slows the entrepreneur down, like making sure we got some processes and systems in place. And the technician is the one who's like, I'm just good at what I do. And this is what I want to do. Not thinking about the over, the long range plan, not thinking about the process of the system, but just showing up and doing the work. And I think a lot of times, in essence, that is why black businesses fail, because the technician is running things or the entrepreneur is running things or the manager is running things. But there's not that you know equilateral triangle that keeps everything in check, because usually that technician is running the business and that's the last person to run the business. <laughs> that is so true. And I think. Yeah. For my yeah. yeah, my first year of full time um, self employment, it was je- definitely you know myself as the provider running the business and uh-huh. you know and, yeah, but I yeah. I learned I, I get it, girl, I get it. You don't even understand. I get it. <laughs> so you mentioned having going to talk to your therapist. So I always like the mantra: heal thyself, help thyself. And it's the same letters, just the spacing is different. So as a therapist, many women are probably under the erroneous impression that you have it all together. So talk with us about a time you missed the mark as a therapist. Oh boy. So I always chuckle at that because I definitely do not have it all together. I'm a human being just like everyone else. And I'm very very transparent about that with my clients so that they don't Mm -hmm. feel that they're, um, you know, number one, that there's this pressure to, um, to elevate to a certain standard and of perfection, number one, right? And number two, uh, to help kind of remove that barrier of a hierarchical relationship in therapy, you know, um, once again, I come with the education and training, but I'm a person just like they are. And so I'm very transparent about that. And, you know, my constant struggle, and I share this, um, it's just the challenge of maintaining balance. You know, that is a daily challenge for me, maintaining that balance, making sure that I'm centered, making sure that, you know, I'm eating, you know, correctly and exercising and, you know, paying attention to my spiritual and emotional health. Um, and so, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm very transparent about that. And just being able to, you know, sometimes have to take uh, a little bit of a step back to say, okay, you need to take some time off. And right. I also try to model that for my clients, you know, especially those about 98% of my caseload of black women. And so um, oftentimes we see taking time off as a luxury instead of, you know, what is absolutely needed at times. And so those, you know, those areas are definitely where I fall short and I have to, you know, call myself out. (laughs) Well, I think we oftentimes think of balance, meaning 50-50, 
or like, again, that equilateral triangle that everything is static and everything is like, okay, you know, 33.333% over here or whatever, however many you know, parts of our lives we're divided in, it's an equal uh, percentage or an equal part of the pie. And balance really is like a seesaw. There's not just two people sitting and just the seesaw is flat, but it's that constant up and down, up and down, but that constant like movement and that's balance and that no one's flying off like this <laughs> super heavy person where it's like, okay, you just sent that little peewee flying, but it's also, you know, not just like staying there. Sometimes it's going to go up, sometimes it's going to down, but it's that constant movement. And I think the fluidity and the movement of that is more, speaks more to balance and that we do so in a healthy way. So that's that's also a key in terms of how we define balance. Absolutely, absolutely. You're also hit on <laughs> one of my favorite uh, say, uh, aspects of being a black woman mm -hmm. is that we're often known for wearing capes and S's on our chest, like real life super women. Yes. Um, however, that can be exhausting. It can be overwhelming and it, it can be tiring. So how do you utilize the strengths of black women as tools for emotional wellness? Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's there's a, you know, a legitimate concept that is called the strong black woman. And there are no spaces between the words. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it's written. And that's how we yeah. often live that strong black mm -hmm. woman all together. Right. Yeah. And so while there are definitely, you know, positive characteristics of that, we want to recognize that um, as Black women, we are resilient. You know, we have faced some tough times and that's, you know, um, a positive, but we don't want to live in the the word with no spacing, right? <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> because, you know, as you said, um, the outcomes of that are, you know, exhaustion, health issues. We cannot, you know, run our lives without stopping, you know, without um, recognizing that, again, we are human beings, too. We have feelings. Um, we need to take breaks, et cetera. You know, some of the components of that strong Black woman um, has to deal with the, I would say the inability of emotional regulation. And these aren't, mm. you know, my concepts. This is in the research. Um, right. So the inability of emotional regulation, it's, you know, um, caring for others, being that caregiver uh, and putting others as a priority and putting ourselves on the back burner. And it is also um, the element of independence, not the independent independence that we want to foster, of course, in our children, but you know, not relying on our support system and really, again, running ourselves ragged. And so, working with my clients, we, you know, we talk about that, and we also talk about let's use parts of that that are good attributes. And let's, you know, turn that towards self, you know, be a mm -hmm. caregiver of self first, um, right. tap into what you're feeling. Don't just go, 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 because, yeah. you know, whether we are 
acknowledging what we're feeling, depressive symptoms, anxiety, stress, or not, our body is keeping the score. And so, you know, when we have these chronic uh, conditions, uh, they are tied to the fact that we may not be uh, putting our emotional wellness as a priority. So, yeah, you're exactly. I think, like you said, I think that key point you said using that strength, but having some boundaries, not just having like the whole, like all of the superwoman, like going whole hog, 100%, 150%, 200% in every aspect of everything you do. Yeah. Because we can't live with that and it's not sustainable. It is but not. But having that strength, but with some boundaries, with a container so that we can not necessarily ration it out, but apportion it out in the ways that are beneficial both to us and to those that we love and serve. Absolutely. And, you know, that's the whole point is that if we take care of self first, we'll have more to give and it'll be more, um, it will be of quality, you know, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately as black women, you know, um, society wise, and even within our culture, we see, um, you know, taking time for self and self care as again, a luxury and as selfishness. And so part of my job as a provider is to erase, you know, that, that negative, really negative thinking as far as um, what was put on us to keep us going as black women in society. Right. And, you know, really take care of self and also rely on your support system. There is, it is not a weakness to say, I need help. Um, I always say, you know, you cannot be a true giver if you don't know how to receive because it is so hard to be on the receiving end. It's so hard to be in a vulnerable space. And so if you are always the giver, are you really giving, (laughs) you know, are you really giving with good intention? If you feel that, no, 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 I can always be a giver, but I can't be a receiver. Um, There's balance in that. And so being able to rely on our support system and also I can't tell you the amount of women who walk in here and they, they will not allow themselves to cry. And mm. oh my goodness, it it all it brings tears to my eyes, you know, and I'm just like, release it, release it. And they think of it as a weakness. And, you know, I'm like, no, God gave us these tears for a reason. You know, it's a cleansing process. Paul is therapeutic. <laughs> yes. Yes. Healing. Absolutely. Yes. They mean something. Yes. Yes. They mean something. And I just, I, as even as you talk about support systems and, you know, considering myself that I've been in some of those scenarios that you just described and not being able to ask for help, sometimes that's conditional on who you're asking help from and not being able to ask for help speaks to who you've surrounded yourself with, mm-hmm. that maybe they're not the people that you want to be helping you. Yes. Or your acknowledgement that those people aren't really on your team or aren't team you. And it's an indictment on your inner circle. Or And it's hard to kind of cut that cord mm-hmm. 
and realize that maybe they're not the best people to be asking help from, whether they are not reliable, whether it's a unidirectional relationship, mm -hmm. whether it's just an overall not a good fit. And sometimes with that, with relationships, it's hard to cut the cord because they, you know, people that have been in our lives for the beginning, since the beginning of time, or we have, you know, tied our identity to being with or connected to the said person. And there's a lot more that goes into not asking for help than we sometimes even fail to realize because we feel it'll be a reflection on if they do say no or if they don't show up, what does that mean or how? So it's easier for me to just do it myself. That is um, and I think a lot of times we fail to realize that maybe it's not so much of the asking of help, but who we're asking help from. Um, and what that says about that relationship. Yes, that is such an important point that you make. Um, because, it, you know, I always say my, it seems like certain weeks, all of my clients are, you know, speaking about the same thing. And so there are things. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking about that lately, um, about how, you know, some people, you know, their time has run out in your life. And so they need to be purged and others, <laughs> you know, no, not bite my tongue on that. Um, right. And then others, we have to put them in their boxes where they belong and it helps us mm -hmm. too. So, you know, yeah. as you said, if it's a unilateral relationship, then, okay, then this person is who I can go to, you know, when I need, uh, uh, uplifting story or some humor or whatever. And, mm -hmm. you know, putting people in the boxes that they belong as far as how they show up in our lives. So that, Absolutely. as you said, you know, we don't, we're not disappointed. We don't um, continue to run the cycle of, well, I can't, you know, these people don't show up for me. So I have to do this, mm -hmm. this by myself. You know, so that is definitely an important, uh, an important point that you made about, you know, who, who, who are tribe, who are they, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You bring yourself and your story to your clientele. Mm -hmm. From your own perspective, how do you frame your sessions to not only focus on the person at the center of the therapeutic process, but also to address the needs not often met in contemporary medicine? Hmm. Great question. So I have to start by saying that as a social worker, and many um, people may not, you know, understand fully what we do as social workers, um, even myself in entering the field, I was like, oh, you know, are you just the case manager? <laughs> right. Uh -huh. But social workers are everywhere. And so our discipline really relies on that person and the environment. Um, you cannot work with a person and treat them effectively if, let's just say, they're hungry or they have unstable housing or you know, all, you know, medical issues. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So, you know, um, relying on that and working with my clients, um, you know, if you're depressed, you know, I want to know when was the last time you had blood work done? 
When was the last time you had a physical? You know, it's a holistic process, even if I'm not, of course, the expert in all of these other um, areas that may be impacting your life. We need to talk about that and we need to get you connected to the right resources. And also, um, I think what is, you know, different as well is inviting the spiritual aspect of the person into therapy. Many times clients believe they, you know, have to leave that at the door or they have a view of therapy as very sanitized and we're just going to talk about our feelings or, you know, um, uh, depression and, and just that, not the entire whole person. And again, that, that holistic uh, perspective is very important in working with, you know, my clients. Right. I love how you're just providing a natural transition to this next question. <laughs> um, oftentimes, especially in the Black community, we hear the trope that you don't need therapy, you need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with the latter mm-hmm. portion of that statement. Prayer and therapy are not mutually exclusive. They can peacefully coexist and actually synergistically coexist. Yeah. So how do you counsel clientele past the when church and prayer don't work phase? Yeah, so that comes up very often. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, we have to go through a process of helping a client to not feel guilty or helping them to not feel ashamed or that they failed at, you know, prayer and, um, and, you know, religious strategies to, mm-hmm. you know, get them out of their depression or deal with their anxiety right. or stressors. And so when they come yeah. into my office, you know, we, we use that too, you know, and I tell mm-hmm. them that um, therapy is just an extension of that. It's just as if you were seeing a doctor for high blood pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going to just rely on the medication, even though that's important. Right. You also have to change your eating habits. You have to exercise. And so it all works together. And sometimes, um, you know, we, we can pray, we can attend church, and we may not have those immediate answers or results. And so... Right we need, you know, flesh come into therapy with a person. And I always say, mm-hmm. God made therapists too. He definitely made me. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes therapy is the answer to your prayer. Yes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. yes. So yeah. Actually, prayers come in so many different forms. And maybe your therapist is the answer to prayer to help you flesh out that idea. To help you get over that hump, to help you get through that period where you need someone to talk to who is not non-judgmental and is not going to look at you sideways because you said or felt or something that it falls outside of their um, worldview. Yeah, Um, yeah. prayer can be answered through therapy, y'all. It's it's possible. (laughs) Absolutely, and I think that you know, again, it goes hand in hand. You know, it doesn't have to be this firm separation. And that's why it's also important to find a therapist that 
um, as much as possible aligns with your preferences for therapy. Um, again, 98% of my clientele are Black women. And, you know, over the last few years, Black women have been wanting to come into therapy with someone who looks like them. And unfortunately, in the field, only about 14% of mental health providers are Black women or women of color. And so, um, you know, it's important, even if those numbers don't, you know, rise, we still have to have um, cultural competence as a field to understand specifically the needs of Black women. And oftentimes those needs and those strengths rely on religion and spirituality. And so being able to bring that in to the therapeutic process, whether it's, again, helping them to understand that, that you can have Jesus and a therapist too. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, and, and understanding how much um, religion and spirituality plays a critical role in many um, lives of Black women. Yes, absolutely. You speak of yourself as a healer and not a therapist. So talk to us about that important distinction. <laughs> um, I'm going to add a little bit to the word healer. Um, okay. I tend to think of myself as a wounded healer. And so, um, even more context. I love it. <laughs> and so, I always just say, you know, my practice was built on my own tears and pain. And mm -hmm. while that is not the forefront of the work that I do, it certainly helps me to, um, you know, build rapport and trust with my clients to be able to be transparent about some of the experiences that I've gone through um, and also uh, allow them to see that you can't come out on the other side. So the healing aspect of the therapy, you know, I don't want to just, you know, okay, let's have this treatment plan. Your goals are to, you know, um, return to optimal functioning in six months. I really want to help my clients to work on transforming their lives and getting back to their authentic selves. Um, right. And that comes through, again, um, unraveling the blockages, um, facing mm -hmm. uh, different traumas and experiences so that they get back to their authentic selves. That is most important for me. And it's just always so humbling when a client comes in and they are just so broken and they don't believe that their life, you know, is ever going to be good or they're going to ever feel happy and, you know, doing that work. And I say, I don't care if that work takes prayer, crying, laughing, you know, me having to step into the parental figure that they should have had um, mm -hmm. to get them back to who they really are. And just seeing that transformation, oh my goodness, it's just, it's why I do what I do. Uh, you know, I would do this work for free, but I do have two sons who are in college. <laughs> so <Yes>. I can't. <laughs> but they need to be financed. So thank you. Yes. 
Right. I say that all the time. I would do this for free because I love what I do. I mean, I truly love what I do. I said, but I got bills. So yes. <laughs> that that's real. That's real. But yes. and I hope one day that I can do this for free yes. in terms of, you know, pro bono work and you know, work with the foundation and things of that nature. But as of right now, as of right now, <laughs> it's a mindset. It's a mindset and it's a goal, but as of right now, yeah, yes. I got bills. Uh, absolutely but you know I, I just I just love to see the transformation and so in that part that's where the healer you know really steps up um, I don't want you just walking out of here with goals completed I want you to have a positive life change and you know and that and so that's also important why you know when potential clients call I screen them because you have to be ready to do the work. You know, um, it's going to be hard. It's going to be rough. You might feel worse before you feel better, but you have to be mm -hmm. open to doing the work. I, I tell them all the time, I could take your money, but that's not why I'm in this. You know, you really have to be ready. And um, yeah. most, most of my clients are sometimes, a few are not. And, you know, they come back when they're ready. And so, yeah. again, <laughs> you know, this work is really important to me because we're talking about future generations. We're talking about um, breaking cycles in families. We're talking about, you know, future generations um, that don't have to experience maybe what we've experienced. So it's bigger than me, bigger than the person. Um, you know, so yeah. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely do. Another term you mentioned before is sanitized therapy. <laughs> and you practice an unconventional form of unsanitized therapy. What does that mean? And how did you land on this approach? Well, um, <laughs> I, well, let me first say I do follow my ethics and principles. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, it was that dirty. I didn't mean you were getting that dirty. No, 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 no. <laughs> still, still with an ethical, uh, the ethical realm. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, just as I stated um, a little bit before, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to get to that point of healing. So, you know, yeah. oftentimes clients will um, later say, oh my gosh, you know, this, this doesn't line up with what I thought therapy would be because, mm. you know, sometimes laughter is needed, right? Sometimes crying is needed. Um, mm -hmm. It's about getting to the real, the real and raw. And so we cannot do this if you're just sitting on the couch and I'm asking you just, how are you feeling today? You know, <laughs> you know, no, we're going to have to really get in there and do the work and talk about some very hard things. And again, um, also being transparent where it's appropriate for me to share certain things. Um, right. You know, that's where the transformation happens. It has to be real and raw. And while, you know, definitely there are many providers who are doing great work and, you know, um, and it's more traditional therapy, 
you know, that is effective too, because not all clients um, prefer my style. And so again, that's why we talk about that in consultation um, Mm -hmm. about what this is going to look like and how it is really centered around who you are as a person. Um, So every situation, you know, is going to be unique, but it's not going to be your traditional type of therapy. All right. I like it. I like it. You have a picture of your grandmother hanging in your office. I do. So what importance does her image play into how you practice on a day-to-day basis? Oh, wow. So I tried to prepare myself in case this question (laughs) came up, this this topic, and I'm still getting teary-eyed. So, um my maternal grandmother, uh, well, I'm a product of teenage parents. My mother and father were 16 and 17 when Mm -hmm. they had me. They are still married to this day. Um, (laughs) Yes. And so my maternal grandmother had a huge role in raising me, you know, as my Mm -hmm. parents were still achieving their goals. And my grandmother really serves as um, really the foundation for my practice. My grandmother had a pretty tough life. Um, she was in abusive, you know, situations. One in which, you know, she was shot and watched her brother murdered by her mm-hmm. abusive husband. Um, talk about trauma, right? Um, And just so many things she went through, having a son, her firstborn, murdered. He was only 28 years old. And, you know, of course, growing up, I didn't know all these things, you know, didn't understand what they meant, right? Until I became a woman and started experiencing life and having children of my own and looking back like, wow, my grandmother went through a lot. And unfortunately, um, one of the ways she coped was through um, alcohol, which eventually she succumbed to cirrhosis of the liver because of her alcohol use. But I think about the fact that if my grandmother had had services, you know, like those that I provide, how different her life might have been, you know, um, And one thing about my grandmother, oh my goodness, she still laughed, she smiled. Again, you wouldn't have really known all that she went through. And she was the catalyst for my own healing because I remember distinctly one Thanksgiving um, going over to my mother's biological father's house. And he was actually the man who not only shot her, but shot and killed her brother. And we all went, all went. And my grandpa, you, you wouldn't have known anything because my grandmother was there. And I guess she found some type of forgiveness in her heart. Um, yeah. But for me, I always look back and say, you know, despite my divorce and co-parenting, if my grandmother could be in the room with someone who killed her brother, right? 
Um, she saw him just as the mother of her two daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, if she could do that for her children, for herself, to liberate herself, then I can do anything, you know? Right. And so I just take her with me everywhere I go. And that's why her picture is here, because I look at every woman and say, you know, if you were my grandmother, you know, mm-hmm. um, what services could 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 she have had? You know, I just, yeah. even myself, you know, I just see my grandmother and every woman that I work with, with myself. This is why I do what I do um, to just also so that her life wasn't in vain at all and that she left a legacy yeah. of healing. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. That's great. That's great. And tell, let's honor your grandmother. What was your grandmother's name? Her name is Thelma Black Blanche Atkinson, which is T B A. So those are her initials. Thelma, and my oh, company. there it is. There it is. Thank you, Thelma Blanche Atkinson, for yes. just inspiring all of us. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for allowing us to hold space for her yes, and honoring her you. legacy that lives on in you. Thank so you. you mentioned your ideal client or the client that you see most of is Black women. Mm-hmm. And you talked about depression. You talked about trauma and intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. What conditions do these women have that you help them confront in addition to the ones you've already mentioned? Absolutely. So as we know, (laughs) living as a black woman in the United States is very challenging. You know, we have to confront gender issues. We have to confront, you know, issues of race and, you know, marginalism. And so um, I also work with my clients, you know, with those issues and how Mm -hmm. they show up in the world as black women and, um, you know, what the impact of that on their, you know, inner lives. Um, And just, you know, working with women who have everyday, you know, struggles or who are just trying to navigate life as, you know, wives and mothers and, you know, daughters and all of those different relationships, you know, really want this to be a place where it's a self a safe haven for them. You can come in yeah. and you can just focus on self. Um, <clears throat> and again, you know, we can unpack, you know, gender um, inequality and, and race issues. And, you know, so there are so many layers, right? Of any woman and then part- mm-hmm. particularly black women, there's so many layers. And so, we do the work around that. And so, you know, that may cause for different, you know, techniques, again, trauma, mm-hmm. trauma care, or, um, you know, cognitive behavioral uh, techniques, you know, reframing our thoughts and beliefs about self and our world. And so, um, you know, those are the primary issues that, you know, and concerns that I work with. All right. Yeah. Winding down, what resources can you suggest or recommend to our listeners who are not only interested in trauma-informed care, but having a practitioner, a therapist, a healer 
who a wounded healer named who <laughs> not looks like them, but understands their day-to-day ongoings and their lives and pretty much not exactly having the same experience, but who can speak to and reframe therapy so that it specifically addresses their concerns and issues. Absolutely. I think one of the best resources out there, um, it is therapy for Black girls. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not only a directory, you know, and provider resource for potential clients, but it's also, um, there's a lot of great information there about the well-being of Black women, different um, articles and podcasts. Um, So it's really kind of like a one-stop shop. Um, So that's one of my favorite uh, platforms. Another platform, which is just, um, it's actually an app that is um, very similar to like your Calm or your Headspace, but it's called the Exhale app, E-X-H-A-L-E. And it's created by a Black woman for Black women and women of color. Um, And so you can go to, you know, your app store and download that. And there are exercises for meditation, breathing, um, different um, motivational pieces that are in our voices. And And all the visuals are women who look like us. And um, also the the founder, Katara um, McCarty, she also does some other work in this area and has a website as well. So those are the two main um, resources that I like to share. And then also because, you know, we as Black women are also looking out, you know, for our husbands and sons and everybody, right? Um, If any of your listeners are, you know, um, trying to collect resources for the men in their lives, there is a website called um, Therapy for Black Men. And it also okay. has a directory for providers. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that, again, ties into that, you know, CAPE. Yes. <laughs> out for ourselves. We're looking out for the men in our lives because that is one of the roles that we have to take on. Our husbands, our partners, yes. our sons, our uncles, our dads, our friends. Yes. Because if we don't. They're, they really are just out there. Yeah. And yes, they can take care of themselves, but they're just so many just arrows being thrown oh, and hurled and fiery darts every single day that it's, again, that is part of the Black woman experience is making sure that we take care of our own. So yes, I think that's, again, so crucial. And I'll make sure to keep I'll put all of those in the show notes. Sure. And so as we sign off right before... Any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Oh, wow. Well, just remember, again, self-care is not selfish and it's not a luxury. I love, you know, this meme I came across maybe a few months ago that says, you know, basically, um, if you can't rest for yourself, rest for your ancestors who did not have the ability to do so. They didn't have the space 
They didn't have the time. They weren't allowed. They didn't have the freedom. So, you know, rest, rest is just as important. You know, God took a day of rest, right? And so we can definitely take some rest and, you know, um, devote some time of self-care into your schedule, you know, beyond, and and manicures and pedicures and all of that is great, right? Because I love them too. But also, you know, sitting quiet or getting that rest or, you know, ministering to yes. ministering to your spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll find that you can do more, do it better in a shorter period of time and with more peace when you are focusing on self first. All right. No more needs to be said. Thank you, Tanisha. Thank you. Thanks for joining Women's Health Wisdom and Wine. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, remember to follow us, review us, and give us five stars. Till we meet again, remember, nourish your flourish.